Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, it's the Ayers on the Road. We are glad to be here today. Maybe we're not going to be on the road. We're all going to be staying home, hunkering <laughs> down, avoiding crowded places, that is especially right. those of us that are old, quote-unquote, um, I resent that term. I think it's not about old. It's about whether you have good lungs. I think so, but we don't know for sure. Um, this has been such an amazing world history event. I mean, yeah. it really is a world history event. How are you all reacting to the virus and, and to the corona scare? Are you... Are you hunkering down a little bit? Are you, uh, we hear so many things, don't we? And we're going to talk about the subject that's on everyone's mind and on everyone's tongue, but we're going to do it from a little different perspective today. But before we get to that unique perspective, we'll keep it a surprise for a minute. And, you know, we were just at a doctor's uh, getting a shot for bursitis for Linda and She's an outspoken little gal, and she said, hey, you know, people have to realize this is just an upper respiratory tract infection, and if you happen to get it, which the chances are not great right now, and they may get greater, but you just drink a lot of fluids and go to lay low for a few days. So you get that end of the spectrum, and then you get other people saying, hey, it's the worst thing that's ever come along, especially if you're a little older, could be lethal, don't go anywhere. Let's cancel everything. No more basketball, no more nothing, no more church. And some people think that's a huge overreaction. And some people think it is the most prudent thing that could be done. Yeah, it is really an amazing world that we're living in. She was fascinating today. She said, you know, if a child gets it, it's just, you know, sniffles and they're fine in a couple of days. But Somehow this virus knows about old people. <laughs> I don't know why, but it does really affect older people and also people with preconditions. I mean, there are so many people that are hunkering down. We have friends who have some preconditions, and they are just not going anywhere. We, well, have... we just canceled a couple of events today, even though a part of me resists that. I mean, I don't want to be part of the panic. I don't want to be part of the financial panic either. I don't want to... You but, know, but we are part in... of the financial panic, <laughs> whether we like it or not. Everybody is. Well, I don't want to perpetuate it. I don't want to make it worse by becoming a person who wants to sell everything and, you know, put it under my mattress. So it's a it's a tough thing. But but the main thing we're all about is all of you who listen to ours on the road know we're all about family and, and the questions we want to deal with today have to do with you and your family during this interesting time. And there's a lot of dimensions to that. I mean, the, the obvious first one is how do you talk to your kids about it? Uh, kids are scared. A lot of kids, young kids who just hear and see a certain degree of panic, whether they're watching someone on TV and hearing it or whether they're watching you as the parent, and seeing or, a lot of worry or stress or frustration in you. Or the grandparent. I mean, we have a little granddaughter who went to bed crying last night because her very best friend was standing by Donovan Mitchell, which is the guy, uh, one of the two, our all-stars out here in Utah, 
who did contract the virus and she was standing there by him. I don't know if she shook hands with him. She didn't, she got so worried. And then she, we went the next night to her um, performance. A delightful little Shakespeare uh, little play. Shakespearean for play, Midsummer Night's Dream. And then she came and hugged us afterwards. So she went to bed crying, thinking she may have given us accidentally. Because someone had told the her coronavirus. Old, old people are in danger and we're the only old people she could think of. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is an issue there. How do you talk to your kids? What do you say to them? And as always in that case, probably the most important thing is to be calm and to not uh, let your demeanor or your emotions or your frustration sort of carry over into your tone of voice and into your expression and into your body language to the degree that it really makes your children feel upset and worried beyond what they need to be. And so, you know, that's one one dimension of it. Um, anything else to say on that, Linda? What would your advice be to parents who, I, I think we would agree that you don't, you don't want to say nothing. You don't want to leave it up to your children to sort it out from what they hear at school or what they hear on TV or what they uh, hear from their peers. You want to be uh, a source to them of how they should be thinking about this. Well, I think really people can get very paranoid. And we have a daughter who called us at 1030 last night and said, Mom and Dad, please, please stay home. Take this seriously because we we had a trip scheduled to Europe, to London, to Switzerland. We have a granddaughter getting married in April in Hawaii. And um, I have a trip to Arizona for a wedding shower and they're bringing the girls home from Hawaii. There's so much traveling going on in our family that it really is scary. And we have a daughter who had a hot flash in the night and she was sure that she had a fever and that she had it, even though she's never been anywhere and never been exposed. So what do you think? So what is the bottom line on this, on this first of several approaches we're going to take that are family centered on how to talk to your children about it? What do you think the key is? My, my, my contribution is you got to stay calm and project that calmness to the kids. What else? Well, and I think, uh, what we have to fear is fear ourselves. I mean, fear can do crazy things to your mind. And I think we just need to go forward and realize that whatever happens will happen and we can handle it. And it really is incredible. I think incredible. the best approach in talking to your children, and you, we may get some negative flack on this because I, I don't want to have you think we're suggesting you underplay this because caution, you know, you always want to err toward the side of caution. But I think the most accurate thing you can say to, to children is, you know, we know about the flu and there's, there's new strains of flu and new kinds of diseases that come along and some are more dangerous than others. And this is a new one, so we don't know a lot about it. But what we do know is that children are not going to get very sick. So don't worry about it for yourself worry about being careful and washing your hands mainly so that you not only so you don't get sick but so you don't spread it to others and be especially careful if you're around older people but do it in a calm way and this is something that'll pass by and don't add 
extra anxiety to your children. Well, we uh, yesterday someone told me that, and I heard on TV also that you're supposed to sing Happy Birthday twice while you're <laughs> washing your hands. Just keep going, <laughs> because apparently it's that's how the germs slip off. It doesn't eliminate, but it slips off because it makes your hands slippery, which really <laughs> is interesting. And then um, it really is fascinating because there are there are so many different theories about what to do and what not to do elbow bumps and chest pats instead of hugs and um there and don't touch your face i mean there are so many funny things online right now about not uh, touching yeah. your face this commentator are was you just, telling people not to hug their grandkids linda yes i think you're going to hit some some pushback on that one you can um, you can hug them you with your arms, you know, and and turn your head or something. <laughs> Be sure and not touch your face. <laughs> Honestly, I touch my face all day. You just you, you touch just, your face at night. You, just you your sleep ear just touching now. your face. I do. Oh man, it's really it. it we got to take we got to add a little humor to this because it it gets kind of ridiculous. well. But it's not okay. So it's not just how to talk to your kids. What let's talk about it from a family context. Here yeah. you are, most of you who listen are parents or grandparents. Um, this is an odd thing to say. I mean, I, I I almost said, is there a silver lining to this time we're going through right now? This this potential disease and, and uh, a lot of panic and a lot of uh, uncertainty. Is there any silver lining to it? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest there is because that, you know, that would minimize the fact that this could be life and death for many people. And many of us will know someone who may die from this virus. So not to belittle it, not to underplay it and not to um, uh, trivialize it in any way. But I do think if you're a parent and you're going to have additional time with your children, if, if the schools are closed, uh, and, and again, that creates a myriad of, of other problems and, and worries for parents. But if, if your schools are closed or if you're hunkering down a little bit or if you're trying to curtail uh, too much activity and moving around, then the question is, can this time become something beautiful for your family where you do have a little extra time together? We have one daughter who um, we were with the other day and she was saying, you know, I frankly, I don't want to say this to too many people because they, they could misinterpret it, but nothing sounds better to me than having a little extra time in my home with my children with the opportunity to communicate more, <clears throat> teach them a little more, almost homeschool them for a brief period of time. Now, oh, that, <clears throat> a lot of people would disagree with that. They'd say that sounds like my, my worst nightmare. A lot of parents are in a panic, though, because they're closing schools. They have jobs. They have to show up. They need an hourly wage, and there's there's no other way that they can do it. I mean, they... They just can't yeah, stay that, home. It, They're not paid. And it is really, and in fact, I talked to a health worker yesterday who said, you know, they're telling us if we go on vacation, we can't come back for two weeks because we, you just don't know where. Well, and you've got kids. If, if schools are, there are five, as we record this show today, there are five or six states that have closed all the schools and more will follow. And, you know, you have to say, is that an overreaction? Number one, but also, 
what are these kids going to do where they where, especially when so many of them count on school to feed their children um, breakfast and lunch in many cases sometimes even dinner where will those kids have food and and how is it safe for them to be home when both their parents are not at home and where will they go if they're a little older will they be running around in the mall or whatever and coming in contact with even more people there's a it's a complex question and we're not here there's plenty no, of people dealing yeah. with that that's yeah. not our point our point is what do you do as a as a parent and as a grandparent and is there any kind of little silver lining in that you might have some extra time and have a chance to do some things with your children that you might not otherwise in the second half of the show we're going to suggest to you some some things that we think are really exciting that we usually don't have time to do with our children and some little games and some little ideas and some little uh, approaches to connecting children to their roots and their ancestors and other things that we think this might be a chance to do some of those things with a little more time to devote to it. You know, we this is a moment in time that will never happen quite like this again. And uh, we need to figure out how we can make this work because it is happening. It is here. And it really will be a, amazing if we can look back on this time as a time when we had more time with our kids, whether it's during the day or, or whether it's during the evenings or, you know, we're not going to movies. We're not, yeah. uh, Netflix is probably stock is skyrocketing. <laughs> well, um, but it really is a time when we can think, wow, this is never going to happen again. Well, and this same daughter I was referencing earlier, um, she's an interesting thinker. She said, you know, maybe this is God telling us to slow down a little. You don't have to do so many things. You don't have to go to so many places. You don't have to have your schedule full up every day. And maybe this is a message to us to slow down, spend more time at home, think about our relationships, think about what matters most. Now, that's an optimist right there. It is, but it is absolutely true. When, As things have been canceled in your life, haven't you thought, this can't happen. This can't happen. But it is happening. And we're still living. <laughs> we're still all right. We'll be right back after this little break and give you some practical ideas for what you might use this extra time with your family. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back on ours on the road talking today about, you know, this whole question that everyone is talking all day about. All we, over the world. What, how do, what is your personal response and your family response to the coronavirus? And what are you going to be doing over the next couple of weeks as the uncertainty persists? So luckily for us, uh, we have a little grandson who's turning nine uh, this Sunday. And so we had planned a family party, which we are going to go ahead with because as far as we know, um, everybody's fine. But um, we thought, you know, they've canceled church. I think they've canceled church all over the world. It's amazing. Um, so and, we are going to have... Lots of different churches. Lots of different churches. Every church, yes. So we are going to have church together on Sunday, which is going to be so 
fascinating, fun, which we don't always get to do. And um, the lesson for those of you who know the Book of Mormon well is Jacob 5 to 7, but Jacob 4, we just talked to a friend who said, you read that and think and wonder if this is an accident because this is telling exactly what's happening in our lives. If you're in a different Christian denomination, um, it's the, the, read the parable of the olive trees, which is actually Jacob 5, but you read it in the Bible because it appears there too. And, and so, you know, some of you may have church together. You may have time uh, on Sundays and on weekends more than you do usually because so many activities are curtailed and stopped. And then if you do happen to be in a place where school is closed, you may have more time with your children than you actually want. But I thought, Linda, we would, there, there's some things we've done over the years, and, and a lot of parents have done them, and we've learned from the experiences of others, ways to get your children into conversations that are a lot of fun. And just some examples. Here's some games we like to play with, with younger kids that are truly interesting and exciting, but they work better when you have a little time like you may have now. I, my favorite one is the speaking game where you give, uh, you're sitting in a, around a table or whatever, and you say, let's, let's take one, let's see if we can each speak for one minute, just one minute, we'll have a timer, and we'll give a topic. Or you can pass it around and have the kids give their own topics or give topics to each other. But it is such an interesting exercise to get kids to be able to think quickly and express themselves and actually know how to give a little talk, a little speech, a little message. And you can do things like talk for one minute about a doorknob, talk for one minute about um, shoes, talk for one minute about clouds, talk for one minute about, you know, just pick any little thing. And and what, what is so interesting to us, and we've seen so many families do this, how creative kids can get and how at first they're not very good at it. They don't know what to say and they'll just sort of mention whatever they can and the time won't be gone. Yeah. But as they get better at it, they're just tremendous at telling a little story and well, giving an example and being doing a little drama. Kids are really, really um, pliable. And once they get the idea of what they're supposed to do, they have to be trained a little bit. We did this. We used to do this once a week when all of our kids were home at the dinner table. Okay, it's speeches night. So we would say, you have to start with something that gets everybody's attention and then wrap up that attention in one minute, just whatever comes to your head. And so this is kind of uh, extemporaneous, uh, definitely extemporaneous, but it, it was incredible to see what they came up with. We were all laughing, trying to think of what would you do without a thumb and, you know, how that would work and so on. And, uh, you know, even the little kids came up with some things that were pretty phenomenal. By the time they're teenagers, by the time they're debaters, they can come up with fabulous things. Another little, another fun little game is we, we call it the similar game. And this, this is really interesting, especially with younger kids. Pick two really unsimilar things or objects and ask kids what's the same about them. For some reason, that really draws on kids' creative minds. Like, 
the example we always use is one night we said, what's the same, what's similar about a telephone and a turtle? And one of the interesting things, Linda, on this one is the older kids are, the, the less good they are at this because they're, they're, they're into this convergent learning of the school where there's one right, answer there's and they're supposed answer, to come yeah. to it. They're like, oh, nothing. I can't think of anything. And then someone will say, well, they, they both could be green. Oh, that's the answer. Okay. And, and meanwhile, the younger kids are looking for more answers, more answers. Well, let's see. They both have rounded surfaces. Both a telephone and a turtle. In those days, surfaces. they had rounded surfaces. Um, yeah, they probably wouldn't work now. Uh, they both... Um, you know, they both, uh, they both start with T. Start with T. Oh, and, and Josh came up with the best as a five-year-old, saying, finally, he never says anything. He just very, man, a few words. Finally, he said, they would both cease to function if a truck ran over them. And <laughs> <laughs> that is they exactly both, right. They both don't eat at McDonald's. I mean, you can go on and on and yeah. on, and you're trying to get kids to use the right hemisphere of their brain and think in a pattern that is not conventional. So there's little games like that you can play. Um, you can do happy and sads. I mean, this is a good thing to do every day. Yeah, but, but it would be fun. especially interesting during this interesting and somewhat confusing time. Like, what, what's, what are you happy about with regard to this virus? I mean, let them think about that. Well, I'm happy we've got doctors that are now looking for a vaccine. Well, I'm I'm happy that we uh, that we're being careful and that maybe we can contain this. Let them look on. And, and what are you sad about? You know, the happy and sad thing. A lot of parents, and it's a wonderful practice. Every night when they're putting their kids to bed, they're like, "What was your happy for the day? What was your sad for the day?" Getting kids used to talking about their emotions and their feelings rather than bottling them up. And particularly good to just talk about the virus at home a lot because some children are terrified um, and it is really good to get their feelings out and allay their fears and so on. Uh, another great thing to do is to talk, and this is one that I love, get out your stories about your ancestors and start telling ancestor stories. We've talked so many times about how important this is for our kids to know who's in their blood, who's, who created them, so to speak, in, in some ways. And um, Well, and here's, a, here's one way, really interesting way to lead into that, Linda, especially in your case, and maybe many listeners would identify with this. It was exactly 100 years ago that the Spanish flu spread through this country and through the world and devastated so many families. Wow, including my family. It's, that's right, it's exactly 100 years because my grandmother uh, that lived in Star Valley. All of Star Valley was affected. She was the bishop's wife. Invited, They, invited, they had cots set up in their living room for the sick and they would take them out as they died and bury them in the night because it was so contagious nobody could touch them and sadly she got it and passed away and within five days her two babies her uh, 18 month old and a two and a half year old died and they buried them in the same grave it, it is such a tragic story you may want to be careful in that one that you don't project to the kids that this is the same as that one right exactly years ago because they had no that influenza it, it was a serious it know, killed, wiped out it wiped out literally millions of people well it killed out more people so than don't died. make that comparison 
it killed out more people than it killed more people than died in World War One and World War Two and you know so many other things. It was literally millions, and it was such a scary time. But then maybe this is a time to say that we're so grateful that we live now because we can get vaccines and we can get help. Yeah. But it yeah. is an important part of our family history. But that would be one entree into the subject. But you don't really need an entree because. What we've found, and we've done a lot of work in this area with a lot of people, both uh, religious and non-religious, and there's no question that uh, children are fascinated by who their grandparents were and who their great-grandparents were and what it was like when they lived and little things. How much did gas cost then and how how much did a donut cost? and, and what was it like and, and how did you get places and when they didn't have cars? I mean, kids are naturally interested in that. And it doubles their interest when you, as a parent, have some kind of a family tree or a visual where you can say, look, this person is your great, great grandmother. You are one eighth from this person. One eighth of your makeup comes from this person. And here's how she lived and here's what she did and so on. That creates resilience in children as well as a sort of a sense of connection to and a sense of identity as to who they really are. Right. So the happy side of that story when that grant when that mother died was that the father rallied, the older children rallied and helped to raise the younger children. He married another woman who also had children. So they had 13 people around the table, but they all had to pitch in and help. And they all became marvelous people, um, school teachers, business people, far, successful farmers, successful parents, because they went through that hard time. So I think maybe that's the big, you know, there's a lot of little games you can play. There's fun things you can do. There's, there's things you can get into with, with children because you may have a little more time with them now. But maybe the focal point that we're going to challenge you to do, be you a grandparent or a parent, is use any extra time you have during this interesting moment in history with your family to talk about the family in the bigger sense of the word the broader sense family as many generations and who are these children's great great grandparents and how much do they know about them how much do you know about them can you take the stories you know about your grandparents and tell them in a language to the children about their great grandparents so that they know a little about them in fact i would I would just say that we've done a lot of work on this, as I mentioned, and we're lucky in the sense that we now have this family tree where we are on the trunk, Linda and I, the two of us, and then there's four roots that go down that are our children's grandparents, and then there's two more from each of those that are our children, eight of them in total that are our children's great grandparents, and then one more level 16 of our children's great-great-grandparents. And we've been able to find a photo of every one of those. And so the kids can look at their face and we've been able to find at least one story about every one of those 16 and eight and four. And then going up the trunk, they are the leaves, their families are the limbs and the, the kids are the leaves. 
And it is really fun because they see themselves and they can see how they can follow down through the trunk and into the roots. And it strikes me, Linda, that this really does all tie together in the sense that at a time of crisis or perceived crisis or change or uncertainty in the world, everyone has an instinct to pull together as a family. And let's us as parents and grandparents contribute to that by making taking the offense here and making this a good time for bonding families closer together so say stay safe and give that a try thanks for joining us today on Myers on the road see you next time